You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning, and look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. We're going to be there in a moment. We're going to flip over to 2 Samuel 19. Before we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. I don't want you to be embarrassed by it at all. But how many folks this morning, you are familiar with the story of Ziba and Mephibosheth? You at least have an understanding. Can I see your hands? You're familiar with it. Okay, good. How many folks, you've never heard of that story before? That's okay. Can I see your hands? Okay, a few. Good. Okay. So I want to make sure I try to explain myself as we go through. For some, this story will be familiar and have some problems and questions. And for others, it will be brand new. So what we have here is an account, again, in David's life. He is fleeing for his life. He is leaving Jerusalem. And as he's leaving, there is a contingency of people who are loyal and faithful to him. And as he leaves, some come to meet him and supply um, goods and help for him. And, And through the process, we won't read it all today, but David flees Jerusalem, a battle ensues, and then he comes back into Jerusalem to meet more of those who have followed him. And in the story we're about to read, we'll read of a man named Ziba, who is the servant of Saul, the first king of Israel, and the caretaker of Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson. And what we'll do is we'll read his story, flip over to 2 Samuel 19, and then read the story of Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson. And you're going to find this morning that these stories do not mix. They do not jive. They're, they're, They're different. And it presents a slight problem for us today. So, 2 Samuel 16, starting at verse number 1. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them 200 loaves of bread, and 100 bunches of raisins, and 100 of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride upon, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem, for he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertaineth unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. Jump over to chapter 19, starting at verse number 24. And now you're going to find the same story but now from Mephibosheth's vantage point. The battle has taken place. Absalom and the conspiracy is destroyed. And now the king is coming back into Jerusalem to rule and reign and to restore his kingdom. Verse number 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, 
that the king said unto him, Wherefore, wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, and that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before the lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of this matter? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. This is the word of the Lord. This is an interesting story. And we are left now to decipher between these two accounts. Because things that are different are not the same. Do you understand that? If something's different, I don't care what the world says, if it's different, it's not the same. These stories are different. Let me help you as we walk through. Ziba meets the king when he's in need, and he brings provisions. Mephibosheth meets the king returning, and he comes looking impoverished. The king asks both of them questions. He says to Ziba, um, first, what are these things for? And then he says, where is your master? And Ziba says, listen, I came because Mephibosheth said, today the kingdom will be restored to me. I will take my rightful place. I am a grandson of Saul. I deserve this. I'm waiting here for Israel to crown me. So I left him and I came. And then the king asked Mephibosheth, why in the world didn't you come with me? And Mephibosheth says, I tried. I told my servant, prepare the transportation, get it ready, but I'm lame, and I could not get there. Those are two different stories if you're not paying attention so far, right? And so that transpires, and it seems like the king believes both of them. David says to Ziba, listen, if that's the case, you now own everything from Mephibosheth. And then he says to Mephibosheth, who pleads for mercy, listen, I say just divide the land and and go from there. Both men are humbled. Ziba can't believe it. Mephibosheth says, I'm just glad that you're king. I don't need anything. Same stories, not on your life. They're different. And it's interesting that the writer of Samuel, which happens often in the Bible, they tell a story, they don't give commentary. He doesn't just flat out say, Ziba is a liar. Mephibosheth is lying. Ziba's a good guy. Mephibosheth is innocent. He doesn't say those things. And so we have somewhat of a dilemma. Either Ziba is a good, faithful servant of the anointed king, willing to risk his life, to risk his all to serve the king, or he is a greedy, manipulating, maniacal liar. And either Mephibosheth is a saint who was taken advantage of, he was slandered, he was left by himself, or Mephibosheth is a lying ingrate who really believed he'd take over the kingdom. Let me give you some things to consider this morning as we walk our way through this. 
um, that, that might be somewhat helpful. Well, let me ask you this. How many folks, you believe that Ziba is lying? You, you say, Ziba is lying. Okay, let me see your hands. Don't be embarrassed. So you think Ziba is lying. Okay, a few of you. How many think Mephibosheth is lying? Wow, you guys. How many people are just, I don't even care. I'm going to raise my hand because I don't care about anything. All right. Thank you for being honest, Melissa. Does it matter? It does matter. Some things to consider for those of you who think Ziba is lying. You are in the majority. Most people who read this account think that Ziba is lying. Uh, most commentators say, yep, he, he is trying to make an impression for profit. That's what he's doing. Um, he, he sees an opportunity, and even David is somewhat suspicious when he comes. David says, what, what are all these things for, and where's your master? And so there are many today that believe he is a lying, greedy individual who is putting on an impression for profit. And that may be the case, but consider this. He's the first one to meet David when he flees. To this point, no one has come, yet he comes with his men, supplies, and he takes care of the king and his family. And not only that, when the king returns, in chapter 19, verse 17 or so, he and his family are the first ones to greet him on the other side of Jordan before David ever gets there. So I don't think I've helped you in your decision. I just want you to consider those things. Think about Mephibosheth. Uh, most people believe, many people believe, um, no, I got that wrong. Most people believe Ziba's a good guy. Did I say he was a bad guy? Most people think he's a, he's a, good, he's a bad guy. I think. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this has been... Quite the passage. Most commentators believe he's a bad guy. That's what I meant to say. Most believe Mephibosheth is a good guy because he, he is lame. He seems very sincere. And since David left, he doesn't clip his toenails or wash himself, which has to be really sincere, right? But for those of you who think Mephibosheth is just a saint, consider this, if you would. Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. Do you know, if you remember Saul, the first king, he is the epitome of our victimization culture. Saul was always blaming everyone for his problems. A matter of fact, Saul always believed that he deserved to have more. Being the king wasn't enough for him. He should have been a priest as well and made a sacrifice. This is Saul, Mephibosheth's grandfather. Not only that, consider that when David flees for his life out of Jerusalem, do you know where Mephibosheth was? He was in Jerusalem, actually at the king's table. He ate there continually. And just something else to think about for you folks who think Mephibosheth is a saint. Do you remember why he couldn't get to see David when he left the first time? He was lame, no transportation, no wheels, right? Someone locked the keys in the car, could not make it. When David comes back now to rule and reign as the sovereign king, sovereign king, we don't understand a sovereign king. There are no appeals for a sovereign king. When he says, you dead, you dead. That's how it works. And now Mephibosheth, this lame man who couldn't make it when David left, somehow appears on a donkey by himself to greet the king. So, I hope I've helped you. Who's lying? Do you know who's lying? I don't. I don't know who's lying. 
the longer I live and uh, the more I'm amazed at the, the perceptiveness of my wife and the giftings and, and abilities God has given her. When we were first in, in ministry years ago back in Michigan, we, we had a, a, um, a staff member come, and him and his wife were joining the, the school team. And so we had dinner with them. I spent two hours with them, and when we were done having dinner, they left, closed the door, and Kim looked at me and said, Rick, I don't ever want to do anything with that couple again. I thought to myself, how judgmental are you, lady? She said, no, I'm telling you, there is something strange about him and that whole relationship. There's something going on in that guy's life. And I said, Kim, come on. Two hours at a dinner. What are you, a psychic? You know, what, 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 what's the deal here? So, no, I'm telling you, he's not right. And I said, okay, whatever. That's, we'll probably do something else, but whatever. Three months later, kicked out of ministry for inappropriate behavior. If my wife says you're weird, you're weird. It's, you're, you're weird. She has, she has keen insight, and I'm thankful for it. Years ago when our boys were young, we just had the two, and um, we had an issue in the house. And uh, there was a story that was told. We weren't sure who was telling the truth. And I won't tell you which boy it was, but I had Greg come in and explain the story to me. And, and I said, Greg, what's going on? And, and he gives me this story. And so I'm listening in the living room at the time. I was a youth pastor in Bridgeport. And I said, okay, I appreciate that. It seems legit. Um, all right, go back and play in your room. And as he left, Kim just looked at me. And she had that look, you know, like, like disappointed. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't believe you. And I said, what do you mean like, you can't believe me? She said, you would never let a teen in your youth department get away with what he just did. I said, what did he just do? She said, he lied to you, Rick. I said, Kim, I sat here. You heard the story. The kid didn't lie to me. I got it. She said, okay, fine. But I'm telling you, you would never let that fly in your youth department, and yet you let your son just lie to you about this story. I said, Kim, he's not lying. And as I sit there now, I'm getting, I'm getting a little upset about that, and I want to prove her wrong. So I said, hey, Gregory, come on back in here. Greg said, yes, sir. About six years old. I said, Greg, mom just told me when you left the room that you're lying. And Greg looked me straight in the eyes and said, I am lying. <laughs> he was lying. And she pegged him. The woman scares me. I don't even want to look into her eyes for a long time. I think she looks into my soul. It's like... Unfortunately, this morning, Kim is not here. So I don't know who's lying between Ziba and Mephibosheth. And I don't think we need to split the church on this one, right? Those who are Ziba fans, right? The Zibites and the Mephibosheths, something. We, we don't need to split it on that. I don't know who's lying. I, I lean one way, and I'll tell you that in a moment. But in this story, I think there's an ama- a number of amazing things happening here. And I think it reveals for all of us certain spirits that we've got to be careful of. Here's what I do know. Take your Bible this morning and just look with me at Jeremiah chapter 17 this morning. Jeremiah 17. This verse will be familiar with many of you. You've seen this before. Seventeen verse nine says, "The heart." is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is theology. This is what God says, that our heart, your heart, my heart, they are depraved. They are deceptive. They fool us. And all of us have this sense that we know our own hearts, that we know who we are. We know exactly why we do what we do. But the Bible makes it clear that my heart and your heart is deceptive. It can be fooled. It can be tricked. The truth is, we fool ourselves all the time. I heard a statement by an old rabbi named Rabbi Duncan, looking back in decades of his life, confess this. Now listen to this quote. Not a born-again believer, a rabbi, Jewish man, believes the Old Testament, said this. Looking back on the decades of his life, I have never done a sinless action during the 70 years. He said, I have never done a sinless action during those 70 years. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that's an honest assessment of our hearts. That for many of us, even the good that we think we do, there are evil motives and there are reasons why we are what we are and why we do what we do. And so the truth of the matter is this morning, um, not only is Ziba's heart and Mephibosheth's heart and David's heart deceptive, our hearts are deceptive as well. And I think for all of us, what we need this morning is a little bit of a reality check on who we really are. Because I'm telling you this morning, whether Ziba's a bad guy or Mephibosheth's a bad guy, we have examples of their spirit and attitude throughout all Scripture. And so I'm going to compromise this morning. They're both bad for me. All right, is that fair enough? I'm going, to, I'm going to tackle Ziba as being a liar. I'm going to tackle Mephibosheth as being a liar. And you can sort out the rest. But the reason I'm doing that is this. Because first off, I don't know. And secondly, there are examples of this behavior and the deceptiveness of the human heart throughout all of Scripture. So, for those of you who are with me against Ziba, let me tell you what he has done. Ziba is out to make an impression. If he's lying, he meets David. He is not what he seems to be. He, he's making an impression so that David the king will, in the future, reward him for what he's done. Right? He wants him to believe he's something other than he is so that later on he can profit from it. He is a greedy liar. He is a manipulator. He does have evil motives. The truth is, he wants you to believe something about him that is not true. See, that Ziba is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And he just may be. But can I tell you something? For all of us in here, there are times that we have the spirit of Ziba, that we do things We make an impression because we believe it will be to our advantage. And we say and do things with this crowd or this individual, believing and hoping that because we are good or kind or helpful, there will be a payback in that. And whether it's materialistic or not, if we were honest with our hearts, we have this spirit of Ziba that we do so that people see and treat us the way we want them to treat us. This is not just for Ziba. Do you remember the New Testament? There's a whole group of people called Pharisees. You know what they wanted? 
They want it to be seen of men. They wanted you to think that they're pious. They want you to think that they're spiritual because it did something for them. They felt admired, respected, loved, appreciated, warm and fuzzy inside. They got hundreds of likes on their Facebook. And it did something for them. And so often we as believers, we're not being honest with our hearts. We are not as altruistic as we pretend to be. Why do you do what you do? Why are you kind? Why are you helpful? Why are you serving? Why do you give? What's with that? And I have to tell you something. If we are honest, if we let God examine our hearts, we find that our hearts are deceptive. And the spirit of Ziba, an impression for profit, lives within us all. A couple years ago, I was on my way to make a hospital call. And as I was making the hospital call, it was for a member of our church, and, and she, was, she wanted me to make a call on someone who wasn't from our church, a family member. And I have no problem with that. So I stopped the car, and as I walked out of the car to the hospital, I had this thought. Rick, why are you going to see this individual? Right? And I'm sure there's lots of answers. I'm a spiritual pastor. I'm a good guy. I love the Lord and people. I want to share the gospel. I mean, the whole list goes on. But in a moment of clarity and honesty, the reason I went to see that man is because I wanted that lady in our church to think well of me. And that's the truth. That's the truth. And I wonder this morning, if we could just be honest with ourselves, this spirit of Ziba in our own hearts and lives, I won't say everything, because I don't know your heart, but most of what we do, we do because there's something in it for us. It's true. When's the last time we did something because we loved Jesus? And we didn't care if anyone saw or witnessed or congratulated us. We weren't concerned about a prophet or being recognized in church. We just did it because the Spirit of God spoke to us and we thought, you know what, I can be his hands, I can be his feet, I can be his lips, I can do something that's kind and generous, not expecting anything in return. You remember what Jesus said? He says, listen, if you want to have dinner, you want to do something nice, do something nice for those who can't repay you because you get nothing out of it. And would to God, we would be honest with reality this morning and our own hearts that this idea of Ziba and his spirit to make an impression for profit, it lives within us, and it's ugly. It's ugly. Don't you want more than that? Don't you want to be a believer who is refreshing to people? that there's no ulterior motive, that you're not looking to turn this thing for your profit. Ziba has a spirit of impression for profit. And it didn't die some, you know, 3,000 years ago. It's alive and well in God's people today. And all I ask this morning is that you and I be honest with what's going on in our hearts. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And can I tell you something? If you and I do what we do because um, we want people to think we're kind or loving or Christian-like, and then, when that, and then when that doesn't happen, we quit doing it, the truth of the matter is we were really never kind, loving, or Christian-like. So here is Ziba making an impression for profit. So for those of you who hate Ziba, he's the bad guy, there you go. Bad guy. Now Mephibosheth. 
And I have to be honest with you, when I started this study, I leaned more toward Mephibosheth being the bad guy. Now, unfortunately, I lean the other way. I think maybe he's the bad guy. Let me tell you why. Mephibosheth was lame and worthy of death. You remember the story? His, his grandfather was killed. His father was killed. His nurse at five year old, years old takes him, runs away, falls on him, breaks his legs. He's crippled for life. And when David came to the throne, uh, in order to secure the throne, uh, right, in the Middle East or in any dynasty, you kill all of the other dynasty people, right? Not the duck dynasty people, but the dynasty people. You just kill them all, right? And so Mephibosheth deserved to die, but that's not what happens. He's shown grace by the king. And in that grace, David not only spares his life, but David brings him to the king's table. And at the king's table, Mephibosheth's imperfections are hidden. Do you understand that? He's sitting at the king's table. No one knows he's an invalid anymore. He's been covered by the grace of the king. And yet as he sits there, he looks around, and here is David with his power, his authority, his prestige, his, the food, the palace, the everything. And as he sits and eats at the grace of the king's table, inside he begins to resent what is going on because he is the grandson of the first king. All the things that David enjoys, all the things that he has, that should be Mephibosheth. And as he sits there, he's not grateful. He's an ingrate, and he becomes resentful of what David has. It should be his. You say, Rick, that's such a far cry. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. That happens all the time. Have you, have you ever lent someone money? Can I see your hands? You ever li- like, lived? Okay, okay. Okay, good. Put your hands down. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So if you've ever lent someone money and over time they couldn't pay it back or you just forgave the debt, has it not been the case that when months and years go by, that person who you helped, who you got out of a jam, who you gave cash to, that later on they resent you? That all of a sudden, they don't want to be near you, they don't want to talk to you, because now you're the bad guy for some reason in their mind. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Okay, lots of you. It does happen. Because if we're not grateful in our hearts, we become resentful. It happens in the church all the time. I could give you over 15 years here. People who've come to church, and the church has sacrificed, the church has given to, money, time, work, I mean, you name it. And they pour investments into these folks. And after a while, what happens is these folks would come to church. And over time, what happens is this. All of a sudden, the church is a bad place. (laughs) Because those people are hypocrites and they're judgmental and they're terrible. I would never go there. But you sucked the life out of us for 15 years. Right? It happens all the time. All the time. And you know what I'm telling you is true. And here is Mephibosheth. He's an ingrate. Sitting at the king's table, he becomes resentful of what David has given him. There is no baser heart than an ungrateful heart. And an ungrateful heart spills over, it pollutes, it sullies, it dirties every part of our being. And for too many of us, whether it's the spirit of Ziba or not, it's the spirit of Mephibosheth that we are ingrate, we are not thankful for what God has given us, and that ingratitude just runs rampant in our hearts. In our hearts. 
you better deal with that. It will destroy you. Listen to what Alexander White says about the heart and evil. He says, every man blames the devil for his sins. Right? Talk to people all the time. Flip Wilson didn't start this. The devil made me do it. Right? Men and women blame the devil for their sins. And listen to what he says. He says, but the house and heart devil of every man is himself. You know what the problem is? The problem is your heart. The problem is my heart. The problem is this ungrateful spirit within God's people. Richard Baxter says, Strive more against your own flesh than against all your enemies in earth and hell. And if you be saved from these, you are saved from them all. And in, in, in the church of Jesus Christ, we are battling everything but our own hearts and our own flesh, and there is ungratefulness that has sprung up in our lives. Listen, we, like Mephibosheth, were lame spiritually. We were dead spiritually. We deserved nothing spiritually other than death and condemnation, and yet the king, by his grace, redeemed us. And not only that, we feast at his table. And all the imperfections of my life are covered in Christ. What tends to happen for God's people is we forget his grace. We forget what he's done. We forget the gospel. We forget what we've been saved from. And over time, we become ungrateful. This isn't good enough. This isn't, this isn't a fair. I should have this. I should do this. I should have this in my life. Judy just walked out of the church, didn't she? Is she upset again with the preaching? I want her. She's in the back. Um, we forget what we've been saved from. Judy, come here with the baby. Now. All right? In prayer meeting on Thursday, she usually quotes songs. She doesn't sing them. Ian sings them. But she quoted a song about the shepherd the other day. And I want you to, wait, 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 just wait. Hold on, you're so excited, just wait. Okay. And it reminded me of of the grace of God in my life and what the shepherd did. And if I could get you this morning just to understand, listen to the words of this song. Go ahead. None of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Do you understand that? Do you ever think what Christ has done for you? We get saved and we forget what it cost the Savior to redeem us. So we start living our Christian life and thinking, well, that happened, that's not right, that's not fair, that's messed up, I don't deserve that. And this heart of ingratitude begins to take root and spread and nothing is right. Even the king himself is wrong. It's a terrible thing. Gratitude is an accurate barometer of your spiritual health. You show me a believer who is not grateful, I mean every day. I'm not saying life is easy. I'm not saying there's not difficulties. I'm not saying it's hard at times. But the truth is, we are redeemed from wickedness and death and destruction. We are saved by his grace. We are on our way to glory. We win in the end. We have every reason this morning to be thankful to our God. Every reason. Even when life is bad, God is still good. And you want to know how spiritual you are? Check out your gratitude. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for the big things? Are you thankful for the small things? Are you thankful? Mephibosheth wasn't. He was an ingrate. Beware of that spirit. 
And church, let me just say to you this morning, we have to be honest. We look at Bible characters so many times and we think, yeah, terrible, wicked, can you believe him? Can you believe her? I would never, (laughs) and I have to be honest, I would almost always, almost always, our hearts are deceitful. They are wicked. So what's the cure? What's the answer? Whether it's Ziba, whether it's Mephibosheth, probably Mephibosheth now, it doesn't matter. That spirit runs rampant within us all. Look at Psalm 139 this morning. I think David will help us with this. Psalm 139, at the end of this chapter, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David understood his heart. Oh, his heart had deceived him. He got it. He says, Lord, I want you to search me. I don't want to just think I know myself. God, I want you by your spirit and by your word to expose my heart. Can I ask you a question? Do you really want that? And the the answer for most of us is, yeah, kind of. Kind of. As long as it doesn't smart, as long as I have to make changes, as long as it doesn't hurt, as long as I can sort of stay the same as I am, if that's your attitude, you will never change. Never. We as God's people must come to the point where we say, my heart is wicked and dirty, and God, I want you to know it. I want you to expose it. I want to see myself truly. Is this spirit of ingratitude or making an impression with my motives? Is this in me, God? Search me. Know my heart. Expose it. Know my thoughts. Why do I do what I do? Why do I serve? Why do I give? Why am I helpful? Why do I? Lord, you know. Show me. And see if there be any, any wicked way in me. And look what he says in the psalm. He says, when you show these things, and, and then lead me. David says, Lord, this may hurt. This may be difficult. This may expose me. But... In light of this, I know that it's good, and so when you show me, you lead me, and I will follow you. So this morning, why don't we just be honest? Why don't we deal with reality? Why don't we quit with the facade of what we're trying to do or impress, or the ungrateful ungrateful attitude in our hearts, and say, God, here I am. I'm no better than Ziba. I'm no better than Mephibosheth. I'm no better than Peter, James, Paul, any of them. <laughs> they all failed. God, show me. And when you show me, lead me. Don't we all know Christian people who are really sweet, godly, loving, caring people, and how refreshing it is to be around those people? It's refreshing. The question is, why aren't we that? If that's the case, why aren't we that? And I submit to you, it's because we don't know our hearts. Let God expose it and let him change us. One more thought before we close this morning, um, because there's, there's something else going on here that maybe you missed in the whole thing. Um, Ziba is trying to make an impression for profit. Bad deal, don't do that. Mephibosheth, if he's guilty, which I, again, think he is, um, he's an ingrate. He forgets what the Savior did the anointed one, to save his life. But there's a problem with David. 
You catch that with David and the whole story? David has this dilemma, and he says, okay, uh, he's a little impulsive here. Ziba tells a story. That's the one side that he hears. And David says, okay, Ziba, you got it all, man. And then he hears the story from Mephibosheth and says, okay, split the land. You folks who have kids, you know how this works, right? You walk into a room, and kids are fighting over one toy. And they say, I had it first. I had it first, and you don't know who's telling the truth, right? So what do you do? If you're me, you do one of two things. You say, no one's playing then. (laughs) Nobody. Give me the toy, break it, throw it down, kick it. Right? Yeah, you know. Or you break it in half. Here, both of you play with it now. Rip the Barbie in half. Here's a head, here's a leg. (laughs) Enjoy it. I know, I've raised kids. I get, not the Barbie thing, but... I've raised them. You know how it goes. Why do we do that? Because we're impulsive. We're not interested in getting to the truth of the matter. We don't want to be bothered with it. And here is David, the king. And this is a real failure with him. He doesn't take time to check the facts. He doesn't take time to realize what the truth is. And so he's very impulsive, and he makes a terrible decision. Ziba, take it all. Well, maybe he's a greedy liar. Ah, Mephibosheth, you can have half of it. Maybe he's an ingrate. And David is impulsive. Look at one more text before we close this morning. Proverbs chapter 18. These are words of wisdom from Solomon, David's son. And maybe this is a story he thought about when he wrote these words. He says in verse number 13 of chapter 18, He that answers a matter before he hears it, is a folly and shame unto him. Now, I know we would never do this. We would never hear one side of the story and then react. We'd never have one Facebook post and then react. We would never do that because you understand that if you answer a matter before you've checked it out, you're a fool. You're a fool. And there's real wisdom for us here. There are times we don't know. There are times that it's crazy, but it's not time to be impulsive and just jump at a decision or commit to something or declare your allegiance. You better search stuff out. Christian, we have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. David never once says, God, who's lying? Or go get Kim. He doesn't say it. Spirit of God, show me. I'm not sure here. I can't figure this out. What's better? He never does any of it. He just impulsively makes a decision, and it's terrible. We don't know who lied. We don't know who the problem is. Neither does David. Don't be impulsive. You better get the facts. You better count the cost. If you're here this morning without Christ, let me tell you something. You better get the facts. As a matter of fact, Jesus told you to because he said, you know, if you follow me, it's not all hunky-dory. It's not, I, I promise you, a rose garden. It's, it's not that. He says, I promise you tribulation and trouble and suffering. That's what I promise you. You better get the facts. Because he said, no man builds a tower without knowing how much money it costs or goes to war without the the appropriate army. Because it's going to cost you something. So when you sit here and you listen to the gospel, you better know the facts. It is going to cost you something. It's not just ask Jesus to save you and life is great. That's not how it works. 
I don't care what Olstein says. I don't care what any of them said. It doesn't work that way. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Look at the apostles. It's going to cost you something. You better get the facts. But can I tell you, when you get the facts of, yes, trouble, tribulation, maybe real problems here, eternity, salvation, heaven, reconciliation, back with God, being brought into the right relationship, this doesn't matter anymore, but you need to get the facts. Get the facts. And Kristen, before you make a statement, before you get bent out of shape with your spouse or your kids or that Christian believer that they said that or you think they did this because someone told you, you ought to get the facts. Because your impulsiveness and my impulsiveness, it's wrong. It's wrong. If you answer a matter like David before you know the whole story, you will make a mess. And we could all testify to that this morning, couldn't we? We could. And so, this morning, let's be real. Is the spirit of Ziba, you make an impression? Is that what this is all about for you? Or are you ungrateful? You know, I'm just drudging through because God has not been good to me. You better be careful. Both those spirits are destructive. And let us leave with wisdom this morning. Don't answer a matter before you know the facts. Don't do it. Take the time. Do your homework. You better find the facts and make a decision. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.